we all believe that the entirety of one's gifts and talents and possessions and physical, mental capabilities, opportunities for education and, and wealth and all, all of that belongs to God. Do you agree? It belongs to Him. And according to His sovereign will, He doles it out according to the way that He wants. Some with more for which to be responsible, some with less, but make no mistake, He owns all of it. He owns all of me, and I have, all I have is from Him. That is Stewardship 101. Nothing particularly uh, profound in that uh, other than the truthfulness of it. And so as a steward, one who manages the affairs and the resources of another, namely God, all of my life is to be offered as a sacred um, stewardship from Him and offered back to Him whatever I'm about. And what's more, it's quite evident to me and to most Redbridgers that uh, we, we do understand that. We understand that our service is unto Him. We serve God. We love Him because He first loved us. We serve Him <coughs> because He first laid down His life and served us. We know all of this to be true. And this is the amazing part. All that's amazing. This is amazing, exponentially elevated, is that God wants to use His people in this world to make a difference for now and for eternity. Isn't that something that, and because you know who you are. You know the things you've done and the things you've thought and the things you've said and the places you've gone. Uh, and you know that there have been times where you would not want anyone else to know what those things are, right? I know that's the case with me. And yet, because of being blood-bought, spirit-filled, biblically instructed, God delights in using you and wanting to use you. And so, in short, what I do actually matters to God actually matters. And that's not because when I say it, what I do, it's because I have a, a pulpit presence and, and, and a, a professional, if you will, ministry. And No, it's what any believer does actually matters to God. Many passages in Scripture would teach that, and I want us to look at one extended text, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, through chapter 16, <coughs> spilling over to the next chapter and through verse 2. And this text has at least three stewardship points which leap off the page. And I'm going to touch on the first one at the beginning of the text and at the end of the text and then spend a little more time in the middle portion. And if you notice that first verse in the hymn that we sang, uh, number 616, you will see the outline <laughs> of the message and Mark and I had no I had no idea he was doing this song and he had no idea that I was bringing this outline um, I, get, I have to figure God knew first of all we see the stewardship of time 
But let's read the text. I should have uh, done that first. Beginning in verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Again, in Scripture, a mystery is not something mysterious uh, in the sense of um, it's, you know, f- uh, filled with goblins and all. Uh, it's something that hadn't been revealed before. It's sim- simply a truth that is now being unveiled. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And we all say hallelujah. <laughs> o death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing reading through 16.2. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The first point we see in verses 51 through 57 is the stewardship of time. You say, the stewardship of time? That's a text that deals with the rapture of the church. Preacher, apparently you don't, uh, you don't understand uh, uh, the teaching there in context. Oh, to be sure, I know precisely what that is. That is speaking of the rapture of the church. Uh, that is the time when 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 say, says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, uh, and the dead shall uh, be raised first, and we who are alive shall uh, be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord uh, in the air, and so shall you ever be with the Lord. Clearly, uh, that is speaking of the rapture of the church, but the point is, and what needs to be in the forefront of our minds, is that we only have a little while. The Lord is going to snatch his church away someday, and that's been the case for 2,000 years because the Apostle Paul, uh, in his, uh, the way he phrased this, thought that I'm going to be uh, either dead uh, and raised first, or I'm still going to be alive at the return of the Lord. Well, of course, he was not, and, they, and, and believers for the last 2,000 years have not, but there's going to be some generation who will be alive when the trumpet sounds and the church is removed from this earth. Therefore, we only have a little while. We only have a little while for two reasons. He could rapture the church at any moment. In fact, he will rapture the church at any moment. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. Or you're going to run out of days according to his preordained plan. So I am to be a wise steward of my time. All the while, according to Titus 2.13, I'm to be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, intimating uh, the deity of Christ, the great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. Merging into one thought that he is, in fact, the great God 
and he is the Savior. So I only have a little while. Jesus may appear in the clouds and say, come up hither, Revelation 4.1, and my time to make a difference is done. Which is why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.16 that we are to be redeeming the time, buying up, make, uh, invest uh, time and, and, and purchasing power because the days are evil. I only have, that's, one, that's a commodity that we can't get back is our time. And we are to be wise stewards of that. Now, here in Ephesians 5.16, it's, the word for time is not chronos. It's not talking about hours and seconds. It's the word for seasons. We only have an allotted period of time which has been given to us from the Lord in order to accomplish His will. So, folks, now is the time to actually make a difference. How you make a difference as a 12-year-old is different than how you make a difference as an 82-year-old. Certainly it would be, but make no mistake. If you are blood-bought, if you are spirit-filled, if you are a follower of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, the great God, Jesus Christ, then you can make a difference with the time which has been allotted to you. Romans 13, 11 makes this clear. It says, knowing the time, knowing that you only have a certain period, amount, if you will. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation, that is our, our deliverance, deliverance from this world. This isn't talking about being justified. These were already justified people. These were already redeemed people. It's talking about for now is our deliverance being rescued from this earth to heaven. It is nearer than when we first believed, Right? So you don't have as much time left as you did yesterday, nor do I. And I might not have as much time left as I imagine. As you all know, my 55-year-old dad, in great health, been saved five years, was dead before he even knew it, with a car crashing into him going 120 miles an hour. He, he, didn't even, he was in heaven before he even knew that he was in a car wreck. Instantaneously. And that's a blessing, frankly, uh, that, it, uh, that it was that, that quick. It wasn't a blessing to the rest of us. Uh, it deeply traumatized the rest of us. But we didn't sorrow as those who have no hope. We sorrowed, by the way, and it's okay to sorrow. But you all recognize that? Oh, my, I cry once a week whether I need to or not. Um, <laughs> crying is good for you. It's healthy. It's cathartic. Um, but it's not as those who have no hope. So use up your days in service to him. Uh, I don't know that I've ever quoted him before, but French military leader General Napoleon Bonaparte is recorded as saying, there is in the midst of every great battle a 10 to 15 minute period of, that is the crucial point. You take that period of time and you'll win the battle. If you lose it, you'll be defeated. In other words... Sporting events many times turn on one play. Turn on one critical play for you or against you. That game, that match can turn on one play. Use your opportunities wisely. Stewardship of time. Secondly, at the end of the text that we read, the stewardship of my treasure. In verses, six, uh, verses 1 and 2, 
of chapter 16, um, we're reminded that just like our days belong to God, so do our dollars. What's the context? Well, the Apostle Paul seemingly indicating, certainly intimating, that your dollars are just as sacred as your days. Your treasure is just as sacred as your time. He went right from the rapture of the church to, oh, by the way, let's talk about your offering that you're going to give. Well, that's abrupt. Well, not theologically, it's not abrupt because it all has to do with the stewardship issue. Amen? I am accountable for what I have and what I do with what I have. You know, this church building, this house of worship physically, was completed in 1971, I believe, 51 years ago. We're on our first air conditioning unit. Isn't that amazing? That blows me away. <laughs> God will, will rebuke the devourer, the one who will devour and want to devour, and Brother Don read it uh, earlier. He's up there accusing. Right now, the enemy's accusing. He hasn't been cast down yet. And he's accusing. And I guess his accusations against RBBC, to God be the glory, are falling on deaf ears because the Lord is rebuking him for our sakes. Your house air conditioner, I don't guess you got 51 years out of it, right? And it's still going, by the way. That's just, a, just, just an example of wise stewardship of the things that you actually possess. In this case, the Corinthians were exhorted, as were all of the churches in the Mediterranean that Paul had established, exhorted to bring a special missions offering to the mother church, that is, the church at Jerusalem. Now, if you're a Jew in Jerusalem, and Jesus had resurrected 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, and the missionaries went out to the world and turned the world upside down with the gospel. You're hating them. You've got Rome breathing down your throat with threats of them coming across the Mediterranean to invade, which they ultimately did in 70 A.D. And you're a brand new believer in the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. You are excommunicated from family and friends. You lose your job. You may be stabbed in an alleyway. At least you run the risk of that. It was bad for the Jerusalem believers with James as the pastor. Really bad. So bad that the apostles had to say to the other churches in, in the Mediterranean area, Corinthians, the Galatian churches, and the like, Look, we've got, there's a crisis here with brothers and sisters. They are starving over and above your regular giving. Set aside a missions offering. And notice it, it, what it said in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16. And don't do it when I get there, but do it now. Don't worry about having gatherings when I come. Start giving day in, day out, week in, week out, now to your missions fund. And when I get there, we'll form a committee and send that committee to Jerusalem to bring the offering. 
They had a mission strategy. And so this particular text is about giving. And Jesus had spoke to it, this whole issue of treasure. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you've heard me use this illustration before. Which arrived first, the treasure or the heart? If you put both of them in your pocket, which one's there first? According to this, treasure. You see, you don't wait till you feel like it to commit to give. You commit to give by faith, and then the blessing of a job well done will visit your heart. It's never the other way around. It's always trust and obey, and then you'll realize the blessing of the Lord. If you do it exactly the opposite way, then you're going to wait forever because if you say, I'm going to wait till my heart feels like it before I trust and obey him, then basically you're saying, I'm going to walk by sight. Y'all follow that? So he, Jesus said it, of course, exactly the correct way. Invest first and blessing will follow. And so the Apostle Paul said, be bringing that mission offering day in, day out. It is so amazing. Um, Wednesday, at the conclusion of the missions conference, this past Wednesday, I was getting ready uh, to come up for the, the, the missions conference, uh, and uh, my dear wife called me over and said, you know, I don't think she minds me saying this. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, so here we go. Um, she said, I've been chewing on the idea uh, of increasing my missions giving. She said that to me, that she was going to be doing that. I said, unbelievable. That is exactly what I was going to share in the Wednesday night concluding words, but we ran out of time, so I'll share it now. That's exactly what I had on my heart. I hadn't said one word, not word to anybody. God, this idea that I have, is this right? That there's two callings. You choose. You go or you give. Am I missing it there? As the people of God, you go to the field and we pay. Or someone else goes to the field and you pay. <laughs> okay? I mean, it's, it's pretty. The Apostle Paul uh, is saying, look, here's a mission opportunity. And we're calling you as the apostles, commanding you even, set aside an offering, a t your treasure, and don't do it then, do it now. And so, folks, I want to say again that I, I, I simply don't see anywhere in Scripture that it's optional, that an offering is optional. An offering is commanded. Bring the first fruits to the work of the Lord. And so I trust, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir, you're already doing that. I used that phrase, preaching to the choir, one time, and somebody came up to me or wrote me an email and said, are you offended by the choir? <laughs> preaching to the choir simply means that it's not necessary to say it because you're already 
very much involved in that. See, preacher, I don't have any money. I'm retired on a fixed income. I'm on a fixed income, by the way. I can't just demand an uh, increase in my salary anytime I want. Uh, you all fix it. So there you go. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm on, a, I'm on a fixed income. And if you're not giving, committed to faith promise. You see, we, uh, our, our faith promise commitments that we have to missionaries are just under $100,000, $96,000. This is over and above our giving. And we, we have a couple of our missionaries that we give $200 a month. I was embarrassed when I learned that, frankly. I did not, did not recognize that. But that's, that's the amount that we have. To double the salary of $200 a month to $400 a month for a couple of our missionaries hardly raises the overall mission budget. I think it raises it to 99000 for that year. In other words, if you are not going, then join me, join Kathy in what she uh, indicated for her to be increasing, not starting. And if you're not going, then give to the work of the Lord. Enough on that. Stewardship of treasure. And then thirdly, we're called to be stewards of our talents. 1558, the key focus in this text, I believe, it's my life verse. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Uh, I signed my letters with that verse. I have for decades. It's my favorite. It's my life verse. Uh, I operate by that verse. So not only my days, because of the rapture, a stewardship from God. Not only my dollars, a stewardship from God. My duty is also. Not only is my time and my treasure, my talents are steward. I'm to be a stewardship of that from the Lord. And two qualifiers on what I do that actually matters to God. First of all, the quality of my ministry. Notice it says in verse 58 that it is, uh, it's not in vain, in the Lord. That's the key. With no matter what I do, motive matters. Why I do what I'm doing matters. And so if you, uh, if you are, 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 are listening here, if you're listening online, and you say, well, I guess I better uh, give to missions, get the pastor off my back, something like that, satisfy some uh, sense of duty that I have. Check the motive. Instead, how about saying, I am convinced God has not called me to go. I would go if he wanted me to, as I would. I would as well. The best I know, I would as well. And so I know he hasn't done that. Therefore, he must be saying he wants me to support those who are going. And the same is true with my talents, what I do. It's unto him. In fact, it's very clear in chapter 10 and verse 31 of this same book, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, just cover it all in life. Whatever it is you're doing, do all to the glory of God. I got in trouble with that verse about 30, 35 years ago one time. A couple of you know about it. I had a family member who was a chain smoker of cigarettes. And I, uh, uh, and a, a believer, a professing believer, and the best I know, a believer. 
who literally told me that he slash she wasn't a gender issue. I just don't, I'm not going to reveal the gender. <laughs> this person um, was not convicted about smoking cigarettes. Perfect liberty to do so in the Lord. God created tobacco. Uh, I'm forgiven. I'm heaven bound. I love him. I want to honor him in my life. Ergo, I have a liberty to smoke cigarettes. I said, okay. If you do, the next time you light up that cigarette, I want you to actually say, Lord, I am doing this. I am smoking to the glory of God. Can someone say that? <laughs> if you can, you're more spiritual than me <laughs> because I don't understand it. Well, it got out that Vic thinks you can smoke to the glory of God. No, I don't. <laughs> I said, if you're going to, you had better be, as a believer, you had better be doing it to the glory of God. It's amazing the things that folks hear. It's amazing the things that I misstate, too. Whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. John the Baptist knew that. He must increase. I must decrease. Motive matters. <clears throat> John 3 and verse 30. Paul told the Ephesian leaders that he served the Lord with all humility of mind. That's kind of arrogant, isn't it? No. Not if you're genuinely saying it to exhort uh, other believers. Basically, he was saying, you can't serve the Lord unless it's with all humility of mind because God doesn't receive it. So again, it matters. The quality of what I do. Why am I working in that Awana club? Why am I leading that small group? Why am I singing in the choir? Why am I preaching a message, teaching a Sunday school class, on and on? Why I'm doing it matters as much as what I'm doing. Why I'm giving to missions matters as much to God as, in fact, giving to missions. So, fellow servant, you can know, you can know that your ministry matters to God and will count for eternity based on the quality of what you do. If Jesus is the reason for all you do, then you can have the assurance that doing that matters to him. And not only the quality, but the quantity. Notice in verse 58, your labor is not in vain, and inherent in that phrase is all of it. All of your labor all of your ministry, the totality of who you are and, and how you serve God matters. And for a lot of reasons, but think about this. Do you recognize, and I hope you do, no one else can do what God has called you to do. No one else can. Others might be doing the same thing because God has called them to do that, but no one else can take your place. You matter that much. You are the one called to do the job he has called you to do. So whether preaching a sermon, teaching Sunday school, reaching out to a sinner, going on a mission trip, what you do matters to God. You are a steward over all he has entrusted to you. So whether praying, caring, sharing, it matters to God. Whether sharing the gospel, leading in a water club, it matters to God. So folks, don't quit. Don't lay down on the job. You only have a little bit of time. You only have so much treasure. 
Use all you have, all your talents, all your opportunities to serve him. You have an eternity to sit down, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you say, oh, I'm tired. You'll, you're, you, first, you're already at rest in him, the book of Hebrews says, and you'll get all the rest you need, uh, and you won't need any in eternity. Here's an exhortation from the Apostle John, 2 John 8, one chapter, verse 8. Look, and there's an imperative word, means to see or to perceive. Uh, it's, a, it's a command. Understand, you yourselves understand, that you lose not those things which you have wrought, that is, which you have worked for, but that you receive a full reward. Now, believers are commanded to want to get rewarded in heaven. That's a good thing because we won't get rewarded if the motive is poor. But we will be rewarded for acts of service which are offered unto him. If it's gold, silver, and precious stones, there'll be a reward. Not if, there's, not if it's wood, hay, and stubble. Then it'll be burned up. And so what you do in your duty... Do it as unto him. If I could convince teenagers, young adults, of one principle, I think it would be do your duty. Fulfill your calling. Whatever it is, do what you're supposed to do. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, and until you do feel like it, fulfill what he has for you. If my life has made any difference for the cause of Christ in anyone's life, it is not because I am charming, elegant, or eloquent. It is not because I am particularly intelligent or uh, winsome. If it has made any difference over the long haul, I would suggest and submit to you that it's because I am convinced that I am a steward of all that I have, time, talents, and treasure, and that I'm accountable to utilize those in a way that he will say, well done. You are a fine steward over all that I have <clears throat> entrusted to you. God's created you. He's redeemed you. <clears throat> he's equipped you to be fruitful. I close with this. I don't know if I've shared this anecdote before. If I have, it's been so long I can't even remember or imagine that I have. My first pastorate was in Sedalia, Missouri, <clears throat> 70 miles from here, 37 years ago. Uh, as a matter of fact, Scott played piano at that church in Sedalia back in those days when he was a, a pup and so was I, and uh, what a blessing. You remember that, don't you? A couple of, couple of times you did. And I took this church up. It had... Uh, uh, an average attendance of 28 total, 28 total people. And uh, I was somewhat, eh, not all that newly married, been married a few years, had a couple of little ones in diapers at the time, lived in Kansas City, drove to Sedalia two or three times a week because I worked a full-time job here. They couldn't pay anything. They couldn't, they couldn't afford a pastor and family. But it was my first pastor, uh, and I wanted to jump in, and uh, uh, I... Uh, I actually had energy back in those days, and so I'm just, uh, I'm running and gunning and preaching and sweating, and they didn't have air conditioning. It was in July in, in um, Sedalia, uh, and I mean, God started blessing. 
In one year, we tripled in attendance. There was about 80 in attend average attendance in one year. The Lord's hand was on it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know I didn't know what I was doing. My heart was right, uh, and I wanted to preach the truth and see people saved. We baptized more in that year than the church had in the previous decade. Uh, we were awarded by the Missouri Baptist Convention, fastest growing small church in Missouri for that year. So it was, it was thrilling. And I'm preaching, serve the Lord, jump in, teach a Sunday school class, go out soul winning, I'll go with you. What? Just serve the Lord. Uh, and I was genuine. A man came up to me about, and I was 20, <clears throat> 26 or 7 or 8 or whatever at the time, just started seminary. He was probably 70 years old, healthy guy, single, never married, lived in a boarding home with another dozen men. And he came up to me, and he was there every time, every time the doors were, you ever heard this story? Mark, you ever heard this anecdote? Anybody else ever heard this anecdote I'm sharing? No one else has. Mark's got a steel trap for mines. That's why he's able to. This man came up to me, uh, called me aside after the service. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. Okay, it sounded serious. I went off the side with him. He says, uh, you've been preaching a lot about serving the Lord, going, visiting, witnessing to the lost, teaching a class, doing something for the cause of Christ to make an eternal difference. He says, I can't. I said, I talked to him about his salvation. He, he loved Christ. He was born again, worshipped, lo loved people. I said, what do you mean you can't? You mean you won't? No, he says, I want to, but I can't. And he didn't use the word, but he went on to describe to me that he was totally illiterate. Totally, 100% illiterate. Did not know how to read or write his own name. And this is a, a man with normal intelligence. You couldn't detect there was anything men mentally or anything, but he had never been to school one time in his life. He was very sick as a preschooler, lasted for years. This is back, because this is almost 40 years ago. He was 70, so we're talking about in the 19 aughts, 1912, something like that, when he grew up. Never went to school at a day in his life. Went to, to work on the railroads carrying water. As a 14-year-old, never got off the railroads, worked for the railroads for 50 years, got a pension, lived in a boarding house, happy as you could be. Couldn't read or write one word. <clears throat> and he said, what do I do? Well, they hadn't taught me that yet in seminary on what to answer. I said, let me get back to you, because I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what to tell him. I couldn't say, you can't be used of the Lord, but nor could I say to him, well, let's teach you how to read. He's 70, 75 years old. <clears throat> I was doing one of the jobs in the church, the Sunday Bulletin. This is long before word processors. We literally hunt and pecked with a typewriter the bulletin. Then we would take that piece of paper, I would take that piece of paper, because I was the only employee. Everybody else worked jobs. They were farmers now all. I took that piece of paper to the city newspaper. They didn't have a copy machine. They ran it off on a mimeograph. Am I using the right word? And of course, it had to dry for a couple of days because <laughs> it's wet. The ink is wet. Uh, I would then go back over there to that place, pick up the newspaper because they didn't have a folding machine. <laughs> this is great. Uh, and then take it over to like a Kinko's copy place which had a folding machine, 
Say, well, why didn't you take it there to get it printed? Because I got it printed for free at the, at, the, um, at the newspaper. The owner happened to be a church member. But I didn't want to sit there and fold every one of them by hand, which I did for a while. We're talking hours of my time. And I'm pastoring, and I'm working full-time at a, church, uh, at, a, at a job in Independence. I have two little ones, and I'm in seminary. I'm high energy, but that just about put me over the edge. And I said, I know. I know what you can do. And he was all ears. You can take charge of the Sunday Bulletin. Now, did you hear that? An illiterate man is going to oversee the distribution of the only information piece the church had. You get the irony? I, would t- I taught him how. I would type out the order of service and, and the announcements on a Monday. He would walk. He, would, he didn't, didn't drive, never had a driver's license. He would walk to my house a mile, pick up the master copy, and I never saw it again, never saw him again. For the next many, many months, the bulletin <clears throat> was at the church before anybody else, perfectly folded, perfectly done, not one mistake, one time, not one time dropping off, and I was half the time forgetting it. I'm carrying diaper bags, and I've got a three-month-old in this arm, uh, and I've got my sermon notes, and I'm at church. Oh, I forgot the bulletins are on the kitchen table. Happened time and time again. When he took that job, he became a steward over that possession that God had given. You all following? Never dropped the ball one time. It was as if I was born again. It was as if a weight went off my shoulders that you can't imagine. What did that do for him? First time in his life, in the body of Christ, he knew that his ministry mattered. Mattered to God, mattered to the entire congregation. He was walking on clouds, I guess for the rest of his life till he died of cancer years later. Folks, what you do, what you give, where you go, matters to God because you are a sacred trust. You are a steward and he's given you responsibilities and he's given that to me as well. Fulfill your calling because it matters. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Oh my! In time, in talents, in treasure, in days, in dollars, in duty, you have entrusted to us opportunities, resources, blessings, challenges. How blessed we are that you delight in the service, the ministry of your people. May we, and our calling is to be faithful, just to be faithful. So thankful for that man of yesteryear who took that job when he had never had any role in the church and how it was blessed exceedingly abundantly above more than anyone could have ever imagined. Me and he and the, and the congregation, 
that an illiterate man took charge of the information piece of the church. That's the work of, that's only you, Lord, would do that. So I'm so thankful for that and the difference it made and how you blessed. Lord, may we find and refine and rediscover that niche of ministry, that missionary to support, that opportunity to take advantage of that you have provided and that we serve you with your glory in mind, dependent on you, trusting you to bring fruit that remains. We'll give you thanks for all eternity, Lord Jesus, in your name.